on. Yes, I have. Good morning, y'all. So glad that you are joining us today. Um, we know that when we find ourselves together and with the Lord being with us, that there's something that He wants to do in us and through us. And more than anything, I find that the love of God, the love of the Father, He wants to make Himself known to us this morning. So we're glad that you are joining us. If you're a guest, welcome this morning. We're so thankful that you're with us. We think that it's a privilege that you chose us. Um, so what you'll find is if you stick around and hang out, that we also will choose you too. So um, because that's kind of what the Father does. He brings us into family and belonging. The Bible says that he sets the lonely in families. And so we were never designed or never called to be um, employees and employers and isolated and by ourselves, we were called to be family and to do this thing called life together. So um, welcome this morning. If you're watching online, we just give you a great welcome as well. Um, we would love to have you stand with us. We're going to get started this morning and we're going to worship. And um, we love it. We, that, that can happen sometimes. We have our little ones. They're like, woohoo, this is awesome. So um, We love family in this place this morning, and um, just during our time this morning of praying together as a team and as a family, we felt like it was such a place this morning that the Lord wants us to have victory in our lives in some areas, and um, one of the things that was so powerful is that on the other side of victory, there is freedom, and so for this morning... There's just a sense of the Lord wanting to bring a place of freedom into areas of our lives that maybe feel like, man, they've just been holding on for a long time. They've just been like just this little tether that just keeps us from getting, kind of getting where we need to be or being completely free. And we love that the Bible says that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. There is nothing that he wants you to be entangled to or in bondage to. So this morning, will you stand with me this morning, and will you swing wide the gate of your heart to welcome and to love on Jesus, because he's so worthy. So Lord, we just worship you this morning, King Jesus, our heart's affection, our adoration, Lord, our love, God, we just come this morning to pour that on you, Lord, to pour praises on you, Lord, that there would be a shift this morning in our hearts, that there would be a shift this morning in our minds of our perception of who you are, Lord, because you are good. We may have had the worst week possible, Lord, but it does not negate who you are in your goodness and your love for us. You are the kindest person we know. You are the kindest person I've ever known, Lord. We worship you this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you have paid for a victory for us, Lord, and it rightfully belongs to your sons and daughters. So, Lord, this morning, we declare victory in this house over hearts to be transformed in every area and in every place, Lord, that you have paid for that. You've brought freedom to us, Lord, and we want to live and walk in it in its fullness. Lord, bring healing mentally, Lord. Bring healing spiritually. Bring healing emotionally, Lord. You are the God who heals. You are the God who restores. You are the God who comforts. This morning, we worship you and we adore you, Lord. And it's in your great name, Jesus, that we pray. 
Amen. Let's worship together this morning, y'all. Straight. 
just this morning um, the name of Jesus is power and it is life over our lives and this morning what I do know is that there are people who have come in here um, this morning and there are possibly there's places that are in fear there are places in your life that are possibly that you're anxious about there's some places maybe in your life that there is depression or there's sadness. There's something that has gone on. And what I've learned in my own life is that my emotions are a, um, they are a way for me to connect to who Jesus is. Because his word is true. And if I have fear about something, if there's fear about the future, then there's something about the love of the Father that wants to break into that and to break that in my life. It's always, wherever I find myself, it's always a connection point or a connector 
drawn into the presence for him to be who I need him to be in that moment or in that circumstance or in that scenario of my life. So this morning, as we sing this song again, the name of Jesus is power. The name of Jesus is life for your circumstance. Where there's chaos, the name and the personhood of Jesus wants to bring peace. Where there's fear, the personhood of the Father wants to come and settle over your heart this morning that He has a plan and a good future for your life. And in His love that is perfected, it removes fear. It casts out fear. So this morning, your place where you find yourself is your opportunity to connect with His goodness and His love for you. So we're going to sing the song again. Speak life over the places that you find yourself. I love that He is the one who replaces shame with glory. He does. He does that. My life was a wreck. He's replacing and giving you beauty for ashes this morning. He's the one who clothes you with righteousness. It's His goodness in our life. It's His goodness and His goodness alone. So this morning, will you connect with a Father who loves you dearly. Amen. Let's worship. Every 
Look at 
Lord, you are. You are a good father, Lord. Thank you that you are, Lord, perfect in all your ways. Lord, this morning, if our perception of you is inaccurate, Lord, would you by your, just by your loving kindness, by your goodness, Lord, Lord, would you just begin to shift that perception, Lord, so that we can receive from you who you really are, Lord. Lord, you are perfect in all of your ways. Lord, thank you in your ways toward us and your heart toward us is always good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to have Jen come up and be ready. Her and Gayland, they're going to do communion with us this morning. Just letting this be from a place of still being a worship. And as we take communion this morning in doing so, we are declaring Jesus' victory over death and the sacrifice that was paid once and for all. And on the other side of that victory, he paid for our complete and total freedom. So at DCF, we believe in open communion. Uh, The only requirement, you don't have to be a member here. You just have to be a believer. Kids can participate at the discretion of their parents. So we'll just take a moment, let everybody come and get their elements. And we'll take communion. So if you get the chance, Karen was just reminding me of this. If you want to gather in families and stand together and everything, if you're here by yourself or don't know anybody, just gather around somebody. Um, And just as I have handed down to you what came to me by the direct revelation from the Lord himself, the same night in which Jesus was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. And then he distributed it amongst his disciples and said, Take and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We thank you, Abba, for the bread that represents Jesus' broken body. Because in that, it was said, He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought our peace. And with his wounds, we are healed and completely restored. And he did the same with the cup after supper and said, The cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. We thank you.
for your blood, Jesus, that was spilled out to be our covering, that we can boldly come into your Father's throne room as joint heirs with Christ under the new covenant, which is your blood. Holy, righteous, and complete as joint heirs with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The blood of Jesus is the commodity of heaven. It is the only thing that will make us righteous, pure, holy, clean, forgiven, blameless. Only the blood of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for doing communion with us this morning. Um, We are thankful that you're joining us or you're watching online. Maybe for the first time you can connect with us a little bit more and have some more conversation. If you go to DathanCF.com to the connection card, click on you here, fill it out, and one of our leaders will be in touch with you, get to know you a little bit, tell you a little bit about our story, and we'd love to hear a little bit about your story and what brought you across DCF for watching us. And um, we are doing this afternoon, just to let you know, ladies are doing a baby shower. We have um, beautiful Esther Rose and Mary Grace, but this morning we have a very special arrival of Silas Kurahara. So welcome. We love him. We've got lots of new babies in the house, so um, we're, we're always thankful for that. So so if you're with us, you're welcome to join us. Guys, some of you are getting together and going and doing lunch so y'all can make another plan and um, uh, what y'all are going to do while the ladies are having a great time. So I've got summer connections that are going on and um, the next upcoming event is going to be our um, Morrison Springs. All the details are on our, webs- on our website. That was a fun one, wasn't it? So they're on our website. So, um, but uh, you can find out all the details if you love to kayak, hang out, family time. There's like a little beach area for the kids and um, being able to play and hang out. Um, it's just where we get to know each other as family and friends and in relationship. And it's a little bit more than just a Sunday morning of hanging out. So... Um, on our website also is the Southeast Fellowship Day on July the 29th. Check out all the details, sign up so we can plan for how many you're going. Um, there's lots of ways to give in person on, um, just at the box at the front online, which is what most everybody does. You'll find the usual ways there to be able to do that. And we're going to dismiss our kids this morning. And we love our kids in this house. We love teaching them to hear the voice of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to them. And um, we know that there is no junior Holy Spirit. There's not a big Holy Spirit for adults and a little Holy Spirit for the kids. It is the Holy Spirit moving in and among us. And we want to train them to hear the voice of God and how he talks to them throughout their whole life. So um, Dave's going to be right back with a message. So we'll be right back, y'all. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? I feel like I'm in one of those weddings where everybody loves the bride, but nobody loves the groom. <laughs> nobody needs to move. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we had a bunch of pe- people with kids sitting back there. Um, I'm preaching a message today uh, called Worship Matters. It's just a, a single message. Uh, often I do series, as you guys well know, if you've been around for a little while. And uh, part of the reason why we do series is we try to build, uh, for lack of a better term, build up the hill to something, to try to help create a culture 
of truth or culture of understanding of scripture and the kingdom and that kind of stuff. And, uh, but from time to time, I'll preach just a one, one-off kind of message um, because it's either something that's really um, timely or it's something that's really important, um, and it doesn't necessarily take an entire series. Although what I'm talking about today, uh, we could preach on until we get to heaven, because <laughs> it's, it's pretty deep, and, uh, and uh, I mean, there's so much that you could get out of it. But I want to talk about worship matters, and, and the obvious meaning of that is worship matters. In other words, it matters that you worship. Um, the concept of, of worship matters. But also talk about worship matters in the sense that um, the matters of worship, like the mechanics of it, the, you know, why is it that we do what we do, or, or is there a right way to worship, is there a wrong way to worship, that kind of thing. So, um, <clears throat> I, I don't know about you, but my first experience in church, I remember um, I was six, so I remember kids' church, and I remember uh, memorizing scriptures, and what's really fascinating is when I uh, became a believer, right before I became a believer, I was in a meeting and as I was contemplating who Jesus was and the message of the gospel, what all that meant, all of those scriptures that I'd memorized when I was six came flooding back into my head. I hadn't thought of them literally for years and years and years. I was like uh, 19 or 20 when this happened, um, but all of them came back. And uh, especially, you know, John three sixteen, God loved the world so much. He gave his only begotten son. That just flooded into my heart. And he and reminded me, he, God loved Dave so much that <laughs> he gave his. So anyway, it was just really fascinating how that works. Um, but I just remember the first kind of experience of worship and an encounter in a church setting. Um, I was like, what are y'all, what are y'all doing? <laughs> right? Like we, there was music and the music was great. You know, it was good music and it, it just seemed to go on forever. And I'm like, how many songs are these people going to do? I'm like, is this, is, was this your experience? Maybe, maybe you just grew up in church and you just take it for granted. But I was like, dear God, that's like the fifth song. I'm like, how many, how many songs? And like in, in one, up, one song, I was like, how many times can they sing that same sentence over and over and over? And, like, and I'm looking around and people are all like, you know, their hands are up and they're in various postures. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't understand this at all. And then I'm like, I don't understand why these people get so excited. Like there'd be praise and they'd just jump up and down. Some people just get so excited and they'd shout. And I was like, how inappropriate, you know, like I'd been in church my whole life. How inappropriate that, you know, what a, what, how they should be ashamed of themselves doing that. And then I remembered, you know, when I'm in a football game, like <laughs> for football, I lose my ever-loving mind. For football, right? I mean, like, okay, who's the crazy one here? So anyway, I just, my experience with worship was, was maybe not normal because I'd grown up without understanding who God was or the value of who he was or what he'd done or any of those things. But what I discovered is everybody worships something, right? Like, and if you're not sure what you worship, um, go look at your checkbook. <laughs> and then also um, take a look at what you subscribe to on TV. So if, you, if you've got like $400 worth of sports channels, there's a really good chance that you are worshiping sports. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> if you have um, all these jerseys in one particular set of colors as opposed to another particular set of colors, there's a good chance, I'm just saying, that you're worshiping one and you despise the other. Part of, part of how much you worship this one is how much you despise this other team, right? So we all worship something. So maybe it's worshiping your job. Maybe it's worshiping your spouse or you're, you, know, you get caught up in it. But, but you're, you're, you're showing honor to something. You're giving your strength to it. You're giving your money. You're giving your time, your energy. You're giving, you're giving your everything to some degree to something, even if that something is you. Right, if you're worshiping yourself, it's like it's all about me and mine and doing what I want to do. But the truth is, everybody 
worships something. Have you ever found yourself, if you've been a believer for a while, or you've been in church service, maybe you've never believed in Jesus, but you've attended church your whole life. That happens. Um, And you come to church, and when people are in worship, maybe secretly somewhere in your heart, you're like, I'm not real sure what all these people are doing. Like my experience, I'm like, why is that lady crying? I don't know why she's crying. You know, she must have had a bad morning or something. Her husband was mean to her. You know, I just, I totally misunderstood the expressions of worship that people were having because I did not have that level of love for God, right? So I didn't understand the, the, the measures to which people would go to almost in one sense sometimes even embarrass themselves, shout out loud, you know, or dance or run or sometimes wave flags or whatever that expression of worship was. Um, I don't know if you've experienced those things and you look at people, maybe you were raised where you don't you know, you don't lift your hands, but then you look around and people have their hands lifted and you're like, what is that all about? I don't understand it. So um, what I discovered in the scripture though is I read and studied worship because I really wanted to know. I didn't want to just do something because all the other Christians in my church were doing it or all the other people in my denomination or whatever were doing it. I, want, I wanted to understand what it was that I was doing. And I think maybe most of us are like that. Um, but sometimes we get, you know, it's like the meme that says, you know, um, <laughs> I've gone this far and I don't understand and at this point I'm afraid to ask. You ever been there? Like like, like all your friends are talking about the game and you're like, I, I know I should know more about football, but I don't know a thing, so I'm just gonna fake it till I make it, right? Maybe you're doing maybe you've done that in worship. Maybe you're like, you know, I, I don't know what lifting my hands is about, but you know, it seems to be the thing to do, so I'm just gonna kind of do it. Uh, maybe you just kind of caught up, get caught up in the motions of it. It's like you come in, you're like, you know, you get into the groove. If you've been at DCF for a while, you know we're gonna come in. Um, we're gonna have an opening time. We're gonna share a little bit about what we prayed into during the week and then this morning in, in our prayer time, saying, hey, this is what we sense and feel the Lord's doing. And sometimes you're like, yeah, I totally agree with that. Or sometimes it's like, that's a little foreign to me. Um, and then we do some songs. Usually we do three or four songs. Lately we've been do- doing four songs, <laughs> right? Um, and and we, you're like, we go through that. And then, you know, Karen's going to get up. So we, in other words, we know the pattern, right? We kind of know what's going to happen. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but you ever done autopilot? Like when, you're, when your wife says, womp, 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 womp. And you're like, yes, honey, absolutely. And she, say, and she does that thing where she's like, what did, what did I say? Like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no other guy's done that but me. Right, okay. So, so <laughs> but what I discovered in Scripture was worship actually looks like something, right? Um, and in my expression, I've been all over the world, and I've been in lots of different kinds of services. I've uh, been in services in the jungles of Mexico and Costa Rica, uh, on the riverbanks in, in um, uh, where, where was it, in uh, Guatemala. I mean, I've been all kinds of places. Saudi Arabia, we worshiped in the desert. We did baptisms uh, and flipped over missile containers during Desert Storm when people would get saved. I mean, I've been all kinds of places. I've been in England where we would go in to worship sometimes, and, and, and these guys were so stoic. I'm like, are they statues or are they worshiping? I can't tell, right? And then I, other places where I had to learn the pattern of, you know, get up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. And you got to do it at the right times or you just feel awkward. Nobody else, just me, right? <laughs> but worship looks like something. So marriage looks like something. Parenting looks like something. But it, does it look like the right something is really the question, right? So scripture talks about like different ways to praise God and to worship God. And so there was a song um, in the early, uh, late 80s, early 90s from Carmen. And it was called Seven Ways to Praise the Lord. Anybody remember that song? 
And so all he did was he went through the Hebrew words for praise. And so I'm just going to go through them quickly. It won't take long. I thought I would just show you a bunch of scriptures for every single one. I'm not going to do that, but, but I, I am going to show you some scriptures about some, some other aspects of worship. But Barak was uh, when it means to kneel, to bless God, to bow down. Halal, to be clear, to shine, to boast, to show, to rave. Isn't that interesting? To rave, <laughs> right? Uh, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Like David did that. He danced till his clothes fell off. Like, don't do that please, on Sunday morning. We're not ready for that kind of freedom. Maybe you were. I don't know. But I think he still had some, some tidy whities on when this happened. I'm not sure how that worked out entirely. But I do know that his, his wife looked down and was ashamed for him. And because she had shame for him clamorously being foolish, in other words, he was being a fool for, for God. And the question was, who, whose fool was, was she, right? And she was worshiping herself and her pride and her, you know, she's not going to get extravagant for anything. And so because of that, what was really fascinating is the Bible says that she couldn't have babies. Isn't that strange? Like, I remember reading that the first time, like, what? why Why would why did that happen? And we're going to get this in a minute, but what, what part of what God was talking about was there's a place of praise and a place of worship where you move from all the physical aspects of it into a place of intimacy. And intimacy, I don't, I'm not sure if you know this, but intimacy causes babies. Uh, it's for some of you singles, I'm just helping you out right here, okay? If, you have, if your parents never had to talk with you, intim- this is what happens, right? Intimacy creates fruitfulness. And this is a picture. Here's David worshiping to the point where he'd lost control, as it were, of himself. He didn't care what other people think. He was clamorously foolish before the Lord. And it was appropriate. So much so that God said, you're going to make fun of that. I want you to understand something, that this is what leads to fruitfulness. And this pride and this arrogance that says that nothing is worth that kind of clamorous foolishness, that will never produce babies, never produce fruit in your life, right? It's a fascinating concept. Shabak is another word. It means to shout loudly. It's interesting that it doesn't mean to sing loudly. Not that singing loudly is inappropriate. It's totally fine. But it meant literally to shout loudly. Loudly, this is a, um, a passage in Psalm. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. That there are times in it when it's totally appropriate to shout. Like, why is it that you can jump up and shout and scream at a football game, but at church, that's inappropriate, right? And it shouldn't be, but some churches, that they've, they've chosen to believe that. Another word is tihalah, to sing praises, singing out of the Spirit spontaneously. Um, the Bible says to sing a new song to the Lord. Most of the songs that we sing are not new songs. They may be new to you once, and we sing them again and again, and you still don't know them, which is why we put them up on the screen, because you guys forget, or whatever it is, right? (laughs) Mostly that's to help new people, right? That's why we do it, is to to make the transition for new people. It's like, oh, they got this, I can sing along, because, you know, they're doing the little dot over the words or whatever, like, you know, (laughs) like it's, like it's the Sunday morning cartoons or something. But we do that on purpose, but if you're not careful, it turns into a crutch, to the point where you, you, you don't know how to close your eyes and go deep into worship because you're stuck in the physical aspects of it. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But to sing praises um, uh, and, and to sing them sometimes spontaneously. In other words, whatever's bubbling up inside of your heart. Sometimes it's a, a, a cry for intimacy. Sometimes it's, a, it's an excited praise because of what God has done in your life. It's, it's a beautiful thanksgiving. It just takes on so many different forms in praise and in worship. And that's kind of the picture in Scripture. 
Um, Tehilatasing, praises, sing it out of the Spirit spontaneously. Tada, to extend your hands, acting out of thanksgiving for what, um, what he has or will do in your life. So these are all expressions of praise. Yada means to extend the hands vigorously. Vigorously. <laughs> Right? Um, Zamar, to touch the strings, to make music with instruments. Mostly, I mean, it's just rejoicing on stringed instruments or sound instruments or something other than your physical hands because clapping is an instrument, singing is an instrument, of course, right? Percussion and vocals can, can carry a tune and have, and have a melody. But something beautiful about playing, you know, this morning we were worshiping and uh, where's Alex? Alex playing bass. Um, he's taking over the bass for a little while and, and he's playing, I, I noticed because I'm a guitarist, He's playing, he's not just playing the bass notes. That's awesome, and it's really good, and it's foundational. We need that. And then I was like, he's playing, he's playing octaves. That's two string. And then I looked up, I'm like, he's playing chords on a bass. Can people even do that? He, he's like eight feet tall, and his fingers are this long, so it's easy for him. <laughs> but it's beautiful, and I get caught up in some time. When, when Rodney, I was, it was interesting, we didn't have, a, a, didn't have a, a guitar player. Caleb's not here this morning. I mean, didn't have a drummer. But I could hear like he was actually doing percussion at one point in one of the songs on his, on his stringed instrument. And I was like, oh, that does something to, to my soul. You know, I love that. And so there's, there's just all these beautiful ways to praise the Lord. But if you notice, none of them are passive. So how, how do you praise the Lord? You know, just like this. No, you're not. Don't lie to yourself, don't lie to God, right? Here's an interesting thing uh, about the parts of the body. You see this pop up in scripture. So there's a really interesting observation. Go check this out. But every Hebrew word that describes worship describes some posture of the physical body. Um, without exception. I thought that was really interesting. Like, like it's some aspect that, so we'll just start from the top and go down. The head, of course, Genesis 24, 26. Then the man bowed down his head and he worshiped the Lord. As a matter of fact, the primary word for worship in the Old Testament is to bow down. That's the primary word. When you read it in the Hebrew, it's, it's the same as it is in our language. Worship, it means to bow down, to, to become low in front of something great or someone great. Um, Abraham's servant had gone in. He was, part of the reason why he was doing this, Abraham's servant had gone out to find a wife for his master's son. And in that particular context, they were huge, massive, extended families at that time. And so the best thing you could possibly do was to find a wife from, um, from the patriarch's family, right? Obviously extended family, so you're not like marrying your sister. That's, <laughs> they quit doing that in, in early parts of Genesis because there was more people. It's just the way it works, right? But here's the, here's the point. When he discovered this, he, he could have found this woman from anywhere else. And he realized that God, in his wandering through the wilderness to discover a bride for his, his master's son, which is a, a picture of something, symbol, it's symbology of something else, a father um, looking for a bride for his son, right? So it's very symbolic. And, and when he finds this woman from his, you know, his master's tribe, he recognized the, that the Lord, in his kindness, had, had led him specifically to this particular woman. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't arbitrary. It was very specific and, and intentional from God. And when he realized the intentionality of God and how he had led him through the wilderness into this place to do and to follow after God's will, even when he was, you know, he was hoping for the best, but then he, he discovered it. The Bible said the first thing that he did is he bowed his head down low. 
Why? Why do you do that? Why do you bow anyway? It's an act of submission, right? I was in martial arts for a long time, and ever before, and right before we would punch each other's lights out, we would always bow in respect. They're like, either you're going to kick my butt or I'm going to kick yours. But either way, respect is due, right? <laughs> and so that's just a common, that's a common thing we do. Uh, hands come up, obviously. You see this all the time in Scripture. Um, here's some examples from King David, who was an incredible worshiper. Um, Psalm 63, because your loving kindness is better than life. So he, he recognized something about God and his attributes. He says, because your, be- your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. In other words, I can't remain silent. I can't remain still. I won't be passive. I'm, gonna, I'm going, because something's going on, there's an action that needs to be, to be made, right? He goes on, he says, thus I will bless you while I live, I will lift up my hands in your name. So he's like, I'm going to praise you with my lips. That's part of the head. But I'm also going to lift up my hands and worship to you. Uh, Psalm 141, let my prayer be set before you as incense. Now, this is really interesting. Incense was when you would burn something, it would create a sweet smell in the air. And there's a picture constantly of our worship from Old Testament and the New, New Testament, a picture that our worship would become like incense that would go up and God is like in heaven just... That smells so amazing. I love that smell, right? And in the Old Testament, they would burn the sacrifice. So, so we're going to get to this in a second. But worship obviously involves recognize someone, recognizing someone as someone or something as greater than yourself. So how do you recognize that? I mean, how do you, if you were to meet the president, and maybe you don't like the president personally, but, his, but the office of the president, this presidency is to be um, respected, how would you treat the president? Or how would you treat a king if you met someone who's king? How do you treat your boss who deserves some measure of respect? Again, even if their character as a person is maybe not that great, but understanding their place of authority and how you understand authority and how do you submit to authority, right? I, I mean, half of the things we see online where somebody gets involved with the popo and it goes bad, Anybody know how you can avoid that? Like, don't mess with the popo. I mean, <laughs> right? Like, like maybe, maybe he's a bad guy. You don't know, right? But copping an attitude with a person who has a badge, which means authority, and a gun, which means power, and can call all of his friends to come help him is just a dumb thing to do. Wouldn't you agree? So maybe don't do that. Right, But so often our society has no measure of respect for anything greater than themselves. Like, I'm, I'm the man, right? Remember Muhammad Ali? I'm the greatest. Well, for a little while, right? At some point, though, he wasn't. But there's someone who's great. And this is what Scripture says. Is there's the, the, the aspect of this is something needs to happen when you meet someone who's greater than you. So it goes on. Um, Psalm 143, 6, just a little ways down, it says, I spread out my hands to you, my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. So there's two attitudes with the hands that you see in Scripture. When you lift up your hands, you're acknowledging God's majesty, his greatness, his sovereignty, his bigness. (laughs) And then secondly, when you spread out your hands, also what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I want to receive. I do this is one of my favorite things to do when I'm in worship, is I'll put out my hands and go, Lord, what, I, I know who you are. So I'll do this sometimes, right? Um, I'll, I'll bow my head down low. Sometimes I'll get, we're going to talk about our knees, and sometimes we, we just acknowledging the, the greatness of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But also, he's our father, right? 
So knowing that he's our father, we can worship him in, in adoration and admiration and recognize his, his glory and his, you know, all of his attributes. But at the same time, because I have a relationship with him through what Jesus did on the cross, right? Took all my sin out of the way so now I can come boldly before the throne of grace. That was my message last Sunday. That I can come boldly. Why? Because for the believer, it's a throne of grace. Why? Because he's your father. He's a king. So no, don't forget that. He's a powerful king, the most powerful king, and yet at the same time, he's father. So when you open your hands and say, God, I, I acknowledge your greatness, but I also receive from you because you want to give and love and pour out your mercy and your kindness and your blessings and your favor upon my life. So Lord, thank you, I receive. It's an attitude, right? Attitude of gratitude, you heard it said. King Solomon, when he's dedicating the temple, you see this cr- crazy picture in Second uh, Chron- Chronicles 6.12. It says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. It's like, Lord, thank you. And thank, get thanksgiving and receiving, right? And then uh, Psalm 47.1, here's another picture of what to do with your hands. It says, Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. So there's a particular way at some point where we're in praise and worship. It's giving us an opportunity. We, you know, we talk, Rodney and I talk all the time as, as he leads this grace team of worship. And he's doing a fantastic job. And we love him to death. He's going to be gone next week and we're going to die. So I don't know how we're going to make it. But he's, he's amazing. And part of that is he's gifted, of course, but also his heart to lead us into worship. Because we talk about this, this often, is what's the role that he plays? Right? And part of that is he and the team are, are, are going before us in a sense saying, hey, I want to lead you into praise and worship. So he's praying about the songs he chooses and he's praying about what God's doing. We talk about it on Sunday mornings before we come in here. We're excited. We, we get a picture of what is the Lord doing and how do we enter into his courts you know, and enter his gates with, with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. How do we do that and, and eventually enter into a place of intimacy with God so there's fruitfulness in our lives? And part of that aspect is choosing the songs and, and how he leads those songs. And we're careful about choosing songs that don't say things like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Woe is me. And, you know, I'm so pitiful and pathetic. Like, well, that's, if you want to feel like a worm, that's fine. <laughs> but the point behind worship is, is so often what you see God do is in the place of bowing down and laying your life before him, the thing that he does is he lifts you up. Right? He doesn't leave you there. He doesn't leave you in the brokenness. So clapping your hands, shouting to God, that's appropriate. Um, knees is another one. King Solomon, in that same passage, just one scripture down, talks about him opening up his hands. It says Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it, right? So first of all, look at the preparation he made to come before the Lord, Right? This thing was built, the, the altar, the temple, all of this was built purposeful, right? And then it says, he stood on this incredible, huge platform, and then he knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven again. So he didn't just spread his hands, he kneeled. Now, don't lose this. He's the king, <laughs> right? There's nobody in the land Who's greater than him? It's been acknowledged. God has anointed him. He is the appointed man to lead. And what he does on that day is so amazing because before all of the people, he kneels down and acknowledges that God is the king of kings. Right? That there's someone greater than me. 
There, listen, if you're, a, if you're a, a, a husband or a father in this room, there is no greater thing that you can do to lead your family well to acknowledge that there is someone who is greater than you. No greater thing that you can do. To, to see that Jesus' model was, although he was great, he laid his life down as a servant to all. That's what you do as a husband. It's what you do as a father. It's what you do as a man, as a leader. Obviously, you can do this as a, a wife and as a, as a mother as well. But I'm saying in the context of leading your family well as a man, to worship, to acknowledge God, to, demo, to demonstrably acknowledge God in front of everybody who sees you in the role, of, in the place of authority that you have, for you to bow down low says something powerful to all of those who respect and honor you. Amen? So you see this in Paul in the New Testament, Ephesians 3, 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. In other words, I acknowledge him as my source. I can't do it on my own. I need him to do it, right? So bowing the knees is an act of uh, worship. And here's something that's really interesting. Romans 14, 10 references a passage in Isaiah 45, and this is what it says. Why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Hear what it says? We shall all stand, just like, just like Solomon comes into the temple. He stands before the people. He comes in all of his kingship, in all of his glory as a man. And then he bows his knee down low. Listen to this. For we, we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And then in Philippians 2.9, it says it again. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, being Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I say this sometimes when I'm preaching, especially people who don't know the Lord. I say, there's going to come a time that you are going to bow your knee and you're going to confess that Jesus is Lord. You can say with all your heart right now, I don't believe there is a God. I, I, even if I do believe him, I wouldn't serve him. I think I don't understand why he would allow babies to die. I don't understand why he allows this. And you can, you can give me your worldview and your philosophy, completely not understanding who God is and how he set the world in place in the sense that he's the one who set the world in place. And there's a, there's a worldview that comes from the kingdom where if you understand it, it all makes sense and you get it. But even if you don't believe, one day truth will, will prevail and you will still bow your knee. Here's what I say. You have an opportunity now to bow your knee in his mercy. On that day, you will bow your knee in judgment. But hear this, you will bow your knee. And you will confess that Jesus is Lord. You will. What's beautiful is when you've accepted him in mercy and understand his kindness and goodness towards you, all the judgment you realize was put on his son so that I would never have to receive any of that judgment. It makes me want to worship and praise him even more. But make no mistake, we're all going to bow our knee. Last one is simply this. To bow down low, to, to lay your face on the ground, um, prostrate yourself. I put this on, on the screen when I was, you know, I was typing it in. It's like, you know, all the different positions, the physical parts of the body, you know, the head, um, the head, the, the hand, the knees, 
Um, and, you know, and then I started writing prostrate, and I'm like, that's the part of the body probably we shouldn't put up there. <laughs> so I'm not going to put prostrate yourself. I'm going to put fall on your face. <laughs> but there's a reason why that this is here, because it's, it's, the, it's the, ab, the absolute greatest posture of submission that a person can have. Why? Because when you fall on your face before God, when you lay on your face before God, you can go no lower. And you see this throughout Scripture. Listen to this passage. This is in Genesis 17.3. It says, Abram, before he was Abraham. He said, I'm almighty God, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. This is God speaking to Abram. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. So here's part of what I want to go after. The, the picture of the physical body why? Why does God paint this picture? Why in the, the seven ways to praise the Lord are all things action parts of your body? How do you use your body to praise, to lift your hands, to shout? It's all parts of your body. It's a physical thing that we do that's symbolic of a bigger thing. And to fall on your face before God, to lay prostrate on the ground in, in absolute submission to the King of Kings, It's the lowest you can go, but this is what's so powerful. God never meant for you to stay there, right? As a matter of fact, he went as low as you could go, so much so that he would die on a cross, a death that he didn't deserve, that you and I deserve. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about this? Who's the cross that Jesus died on? Whose cross was it, actually? Because it wasn't supposed to be his. Do you know? Some people say, well, that's my cross. And that's true. But it was Barabbas. Sedition, murder, a million other crimes that we don't even know about. And the crowd cried out, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Release the one who is guilty and crucify the one who is innocent. Right? And so this act of submission that the, the God of all heaven and heaven comes down and, he, and he, he's born into us as he's born into humanity. Right? He's born as a man. He, he grows up. He, the Bible says he suffers all the temptations that you and I suffer. The only difference was he never gave in to one single temptation. For us, maybe we suffer temptation 60, 70, 80%, and then we finally give in. Jesus suffered at 100% and never gave in. It's a powerful understanding. And then on top of that, he lays his life down. He said, nobody takes my life, life away. He was intentional in laying his life down, as it were, prostrate before heaven and earth. And all of the judgment that was due us comes onto him. Why? So all the mercy and kindness and goodness and love and favor that was due his son comes on you and I. If that doesn't make you want to worship, I don't know what will. Right? So why is the the body, why is this so important? There's a passage in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify or set you apart entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to that again. May your spirit, soul, and body. We've talked about this before. We actually talked a a little bit about it last week that we are a tripart being. You know, God is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. But you also are a tripart being. You are a spirit. You are a body, and, and um, you are a spirit. You, are, you have a body, and you have a soul. And so the picture is, when you don't know Christ, 
that your body and your soul is alive, but when Adam sinned in the book of Genesis, the Bible says sin brings death, right? So look around, the promise that the enemy gave him was you won't die. He's like, you know, God said if we sin, we'll die. He's like, well, look around you, did you die? Right? And his soul and his body didn't die. Now, eventually, they did, right? So God was not lying. He was being completely truthful. But what died instantly? What died immediately? His spirit. Isn't it interesting that when this happened, this is, go back and read Genesis. It's so powerful. So when Adam sins, the Bible says his spirit dies. And when he does, what God had been doing with them is walking with them in the cool of the day. There was, no, there was nothing in the way of the intimate relationship that the father had with the children that he had created, right? There was no, there was no gap. There was, there was nothing in the way. The moment Adam sinned, what did God do? He put him out of the garden. And then he put, the Bible said, he put, there was a flaming sword that would keep him from coming back in. Why? Because if he came into the presence of God um, in his sinful state, he would die physically and in his soul instantly. And God wanted to give an opportunity for forgiveness to come. And then there's this whole story of redemption and forgiveness that culminates in Jesus on the cross. What, what Adam lost in a garden, Jesus gains back in a garden. Well, you know, the Bible talks about the first Adam and Jesus is the second Adam. It's a helpful understanding to grab hold of what those concepts in symbology mean. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, all of the sin and the separation that we had that kept us away from God was instantly taken away. And when you believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross, the Bible says he was making a way, not to heaven, but back to the Father. It, wasn't, it has never been about a place. Understand this. It's never been. I, I remember somebody said to me one time before I was a believer, if you were to die right now, they were so arrogant. And they said to me, if you were to die right now, where would you go? And my first instinct, because of the sarcasm that lives so deeply inside of me, said... I don't know, but it's not going to be anywhere where you live. Because I don't want anything. If you're going to heaven, I don't think heaven is all you're making it out to be. That's my, that was my remark to them. And maybe not entirely true. <laughs> but the point is, Jesus is not making a way for a place with gold streets and a really nice house. Right? You can potentially gain that here. It's not what it was ever about. It's a nice thing, but it was always back about coming back into relationship and intimacy with your father, right? That's why this, this body thing is so powerful. He's saying all these acts of the body, right? Physical parts of the body, they have to come from somewhere. Can you go through the motions with your soul and your body? 100% you can. Tons of people do it every single Sunday morning. They lift their hands, they shout, they do all kinds of fun things. The Bible even speaks to that. Like, didn't we do signs and wonders in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? You remember what, what God says to them in that day? I never knew you. That, and that's, a, that's a, a throwback to the word know in the King James Version that means intimacy. You were never intimate with me. I was, you never allowed me to be intimate with you. You had a, a, a symbology of worship and intimacy. You put on an act. You did the things with your body, but you were, it was never true. It was never true, right? It's a frightening, frightening passage in Scripture. So I want to finish out with just a passage. It's a little bit lengthy. It's a story. 
um, in John, but I think it, it'll wrap up everything I've been talking about in worship. And this is a story about the woman at the well. Most of us know this. This is in John 4, starts in verse 7, and I'm just going to read it and make a few comments and close. So it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So they're on this journey. If you go back and read the story, they didn't have to go through Samaria. Jesus just chose to do that, and partly because he was going to bump into this woman, right? He knew that. So he says, um, verse 9, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would, given, he would have given you living water. So, so here's the scenario at a well, right? This is Jacob's well. This is in Samaria. This is the actual Jacob's well. It's about 100 feet deep or so, right? Um, and the picture that she's, she's painting is she's saying, I'm coming here to get water. She's coming when, when other women aren't there, and you're going to find out why she does that in a minute, right? <laughs> she's, she's there when nobody else is there, but Jesus is there, and he meets her there, and she's, he says, hey, would you give me a drink, right? And she says, first of all, I don't understand why you have anything to do with me because we're at odds. Samaria, that's just not how it works. And so Jesus introduces in this comment something new. She's there in the natural, and you're going to find out in just a second this is all she'd ever known. And now Jesus begins to introduce a new concept to her. So the woman said to him, this is verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? So she's having a natural conversation with a spiritual man. <laughs> but in her head, everything he says because she, her spirit's not alive and she doesn't understand the spiritual concepts of the kingdom, Jesus is having a spiritual conversation. She's having a natural one. Now, why is that important? Did you know you can do that? Here and now, you can be having, God can be trying to have a spiritual conversation with you. And because we can be so thick in our head, <laughs> right, that we have built up our soulish realms so powerfully that we, we can't relate to God in our spirit, so we have to relate to him in our soul. Remember, body, or our spirit, soul, and body, the spirit is the part of you that comes alive when you become a believer. It's the part of you that connects to God, spirit to spirit. We're going to get to that in a second. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's your thinking. It's your will. It's your decision-making power, and it's your emotional aspect. You get caught up in it. Uh, you, you know, Karen was talking about letting go of fear. Well, how do you do that? When, if something doesn't come and replace fear, then that emotion becomes the biggest thing in your life, and it will drive you. So you can be driven by your soul in your emotions. You can be driven by your soul because you're really good at making decisions. You're a really good rule follower. So are the Pharisees, Right? You can be really good. I mean, think about it in your soul. You can be really good and intellectual. You can be really, really, really intelligent. And somehow in your arrogance and your intelligence, you look around and go, I'm much more intelligent than anybody I know, right? <laughs> and then you make the same dangerous mistake that the kings of that day made, but Solomon would not. Solomon comes, he stands before the people, he acknowledges that he is above them all, right? He is greater than them all in intelligence in all kinds of different ways. He's been given authority. He has. It's not like it's not true. But the thing he does is when he comes before the people, he acknowledges that someone's greater than him, and he bows his intellect. He bows his authority. He bows his will and his selfish, everything a part of him, and he lays it down, and he offers it as a sacrifice, 
right? In the bowing down and the making himself low, he offers all of him and everything that he is a sacrifice. And then the Bible says those sacrifices in symbology were designed to be a sweet-smelling fragrance into the nostrils of God. But the arrogance, right? The Bible says if you're prideful and arrogant, arrogant and full of yourself, that, there, that you can't come before God because you're not acknowledging that anybody is lower than you. You will not make yourself low. So it goes on. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. She's saying, how are you going to get this living water you're talking about? You don't even have a bucket. You ever said that to God? Lord, I don't know how you're going to fix this. You ever think about how dumb that is to say to God? God, I don't know how the, you know, the greatest being in the universe who actually we live inside and who created everything with his words. I don't know how you're going to fix this because I can't. Can you see and feel the arrogance in the statement? Like It's silly, right? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Oh yeah? Well, guess where I go to church? That's what she was saying. Oh yeah? Guess, guess who I'm a part of? Guess, guess my status in life? Jacob was my father. Remember the Pharisees said this, Abraham's our father and you're going to start talking to us about what it means to be spiritual? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. That'll get your attention, right? If you believe it. So she's asked, she's like, hey, I want to throw this out here. Uh, My descendants are greater than your descendants, right? She appeals to tradition, history, even race, which is what she was doing. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's saying, in the natural arena, this is how thirst works. Thirst is symbolic of something. God created you with the ability to thirst and to hunger for things so that those things can be satiated, right? That the thirst can be satiated. Why? Because it's a symbolic picture of something in the natural that he wants to do in the spiritual. And this is what Jesus is saying. Say, all of creation now that I made you so that you would thirst for physical water. And how, you ever been really thirsty and then just drink your fill? And you're just like, I'm so satisfied. Your belly's like this and you just want to lay down. I'm doing that when I was landscaping with my dad. It's like in the heat of the summer. I find a shade tree. My belly's like this because I just drank as much water as I could. So thirsty. But when you're full, you're full. You don't want anything else. So here's this picture Jesus began to paint. Listen to what he says. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. In other words, all of this, that's a picture of longing for something. I am the fulfillment of the longing. I will fill you up so much that you won't want anything else. If you find yourself struggling with a desire to be known, are you finding yourself on Facebook going, I just need one more like or on Instagram? And it's just something about when the people like me, when people think well of me. You, you find yourself caring so much about how people think about you. There's something inside of you. You are longing for something from people that no people can give. Only God can do that. Because he's the one that made the God-shaped hole inside your heart in the first place. He's the only one who can fill that space. Nothing and no one else can. This is why worship is so powerful. He goes on. He says, the water I'm going to give, if I give it, you'll never thirst. But the water, um, let's see, that the water that I shall give in, in him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So he's talking about moving from natural things to spiritual things, being born again. The woman said to him, she's like, you know, I think I want some of this. She said to him, sir, give me this water that I, listen, that I may not thirst 
nor come here to draw. She's still connected to that physical well. She's still connected to something in this world to try to satisfy her. And Jesus is saying, if you could just get the concept of moving from the natural, the soulish, and the body realm into the spirit, into the place where the Bible says God is spirit. He's love. He is these things. He doesn't have a spirit like we do. He is a spirit, right? And he can manifest himself. We're going to talk about this in the gifts of the Spirit. He can manifest himself through us and into us in so many ways. Uh, our eyesight is a miracle because the, the, to be able to see something, it, it has to connect with the fact that something can be seen. It's a deep, deep understanding of the symbology of how God made us that leads a natural understanding into a supernatural thing. Listen to what he says. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw, still connecting to the soul and the body. And this is what Jesus said. And this is interesting because the timing was perfect. He said, um, go call your husband and come here. Oh, snap. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Pretty sure did, she did that part first. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Before I finish what she says, look at what Jesus did. A word of knowledge from the gifts and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit led him here in the first place to meet with this woman. In this conversation he's having with her, taking her from the natural into a spiritual thing. This is like mission. He's trying to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. And so he says to her, hey, go get your husband. And she's like, uh, I don't have one of those. And Jesus said, he sings the old country song to her. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? Because isn't that what she did? Think about this. If, you, if you're hungry and thirsty, I can fill you up with something you'll never thirst again. Whatever you've been looking for as a woman, and women especially will understand this way better than we can as men. Whatever you have been looking for in a man cannot be found in a man. My wife tells me all this, all this all the time. She said, I love you so much, but not more than Jesus. That's not an insult to me, right? I mean, I understand there are, there are certain, as much as I love her and as much as we've been, we've been together 30-something years, I've known her since she's, she's 14 years old, right? All of it doesn't matter how much I know her and the intimacy we have in the physical and the natural world doesn't hold a candle to the spiritual realm. And understanding that is so powerful, right? <laughs> this is what she says. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Or in Dave's translation, duh. Right? He sees something, that she, he sees something in the spirit. So verse 21, sorry, verse 20. She says this again. Look how it's tied to the physical. She said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she's starting to get the concept of, okay, I see what you're doing here. I'm moving into this spiritual place of you're trying to connect this in my relationship to God. So to do that, where do I go to worship? Isn't that interesting? Is that, do you come here to worship in this physical building? The Bible says pray without ceasing. So sometimes if you see me on the road, I'm just driving down the road, my eyes closed, just, just, <laughs> right? We know, we know better. I mean, nothing wrong with closing your eyes when you, when you worship or you pray, but, but you don't need to. 
What, what is God saying when he says, keep in step with the Spirit? What is he saying? That you should you know, always be in step with the Spirit. What is he say? He's saying that you can be. But it's something that you have to choose to do with your physical body. And so this is why this is important. Let me read verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Although at a, at a time, that's what they did. The Old Testament is full of the natural, trying to get people to understand the spiritual. And the same thing with Jesus, his death on the cross. What happened in the natural was something that was supposed to occur in the spiritual for us. He says, woman, believe me, hours coming when you'll neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. He's saying you are worshiping. He's going to get to this in just a second. You are worshiping untruthfully. You're worshiping in a false way. You're doing it wrong is what he's saying, right? And he says, um, you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He's saying this is the avenue that the Messiah is coming. Then he says this, verse 23. It's powerful. But the hour is coming, and now he is. He's making sure she understands this is not off in the future. This is happening today, right here between you and me, right? In this connection, you've been introduced to Jesus. What are you going to do with him, right? Look at what, what happens here. He says, the hour is coming, and now he is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth. So what does truth mean? Back that up one scripture before. He said, you worship what you don't know. There are people all over the world who worship God in whatever form they see, they see fit. They've been taught there are literally millions of people in other religions worshiping a false God. Same thing she was doing. You worship what you don't know. In other words, people say, can't we all just get along? I mean, isn't it just, it doesn't matter as long as you believe something sincerely. And I'm like, well, well, go up on the roof and jump off and believe sincerely that you're not going to go splat. Meanwhile, I will call an ambulance. Right? Because reality is reality. And so this, this, the people, and maybe you've done this, that you are not worshiping in truth. You are going through the physical motions with your body and with your soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. You're even deeply moved by, the, by, by music. Rodney and I talk about this all the time. Why is it that songs in the world can make you cry? And the answer is because it's deeply emotional. It's soulish. It's, 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 that's, you know, even soul is, a, is an actual aspect of music, right? But what's going on in our soul and in our physical body? And we jump and we dance. We used to do this when we were younger. Maybe some of you guys still do. But we dance around and worship, go part. You know, we're, we're, we're clubbing. My wife still has a club in church. She doesn't go so much anymore, but she still has a club in church, right? But what are we doing? We're, act, we're just trying to be free. And in this picture Jesus is painting, he said, there, there's a time coming, and now he is, where the worshipers, because everybody worships some, something, are going to stop worshiping in lies, and they're going to worship in truth, right? And then he says they're going to worship not just in truth, because it's not enough just to worship in truth, but you have to worship from your spirit. So why is that so powerful? 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord, not one soul and not one body. There will be a day, the Bible talks about this, I preach this when I preach funerals, there's going to come a day when the Bible says this physical body will, will give way, it'll die and be like a seed, and it'll give life to a new kind of body that's not like this one. 
It'll be a body that is connected to us in spirit. In heaven, there won't be body, soul, and spirit. There's just going to be you, right? You'll have a physical, quote-unquote, body, but it's no longer disconnected from your spirit in the way that it can be now. And so why is that so valuable? Because the soul, the soul is the lever to the body. So in other words, your body doesn't do anything your soul doesn't want it to do. Your mind, your will, and your emotions is what moves your body to do whatever or nothing, (laughs) either one, right? Your body will come to you and say, you know what, I think it's time to quit work. And your soul and your mind and your emotions say, I don't want to get fired, so I don't care how you feel, body. You're going to keep working until 5 o'clock, right? A hundred other ways we can illustrate that. Why is that so powerful? Because your spirit is a lever to your soul. But if you don't use it that way, you will find yourself being a carnal Christian. You will worship God and you will go through the motions in your physical body. You'll make a decision to come to church. You'll make a decision to be part of community groups. You'll make a decision to fellowship. You'll make a decision that when the songs are singing, that you sing the words. And maybe you even lift your hands and maybe you even bow down on your knees. And maybe you even shout you know, loud for everybody to hear. Maybe you do all those things, but somewhere in your spirit, you're like, I'm not in this. I'm not free. I'm not My spirit is not connected to the Lord. I am not one in spirit with him, even though Jesus has made that possible. And you will find yourself going through the motions, and you won't be worshiping in spirit, and you definitely won't be worshiping in truth. You are living a lie. Now, why is that so powerful? Because when you do that, you don't have intimacy with the Lord. And therefore, you cannot be fruitful. We used to joke all the time with our, we were, you know, youth pastors, uh, many, many churches, and we would talk about, you know, that is sexual, you know, that's cultural, so it's a big deal, and the culture is pushing it on the kids earlier and earlier, and we would, we would joke, and we'd say, we know, we want you to think about this for a second, we, you, we know that your mom and dad had sex at least once, and they're like, ew, right, and you know, like, it's even worse, your grandmother and your, I'm like, stop right there, like, they don't want to hear it, But why do we say that? And this is what we tell them. You can't fake intimacy. You know how I know? Because from intimacy comes fruitfulness. And you can't be fruitful if you don't have intimacy. And you can't be intimate until you worship, as Jesus said, in spirit and in truth. So my challenge to us this morning is simply this. Would you take a fresh look at your life? Would you just say, have I gotten so caught up in the physical and the natural realm, in my soulless realm? Am I so concerned about my career that God takes second best? Because what, you know what worship is? Worship is making God first. It's, it's bowing down low that, so he can be great. It's, it's, it's realizing and submitting and say, God, I come in and I recognize the proper state between us that I, I'm less than you. And yet the Bible says that even though we're created a little lower than the angels, that God comes. He says this of Jesus, but it also represents us, that we're, he's created a little lower than the angels, but then he's lifted up and he's placed in majesty on high. What does it say about Jesus? That if we have that intimacy with him, what's happening is that we come and we we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. What does that mean? It's, it's not about the place. It's not about a sanctuary. It's why if you ever listen to me, I never call this room a sanctuary. Never. 
and I won't do it. It's just a room. You know why? You are the sanctuary. But if you don't acknowledge, because this, this is the picture of it, it says to enter his gates, right? You guys know the, 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 the psalm? When you come into his gates, how do you come? Does anybody know? Thanksgiving. How, why does that matter? You're like, you're recognizing God and what he's done. You're beginning to place him above, right? You're beginning to honor him for the true place that he is. So you come into his gates with thanksgiving. How do you enter his courts? Praise. What's praise? Acknowledging God, you are great. You are sovereign. You're above all. You can do anything, right? Then what happens next? It's very interesting. Nobody could go further than that except one man. And that person would go in, the Bible called, called it the holy of holies, the holy place, the holy of holies, that you would go in. Why? Because that is where the presence of God dwells. You are now, have that in your spirit, in your t- you are the temple is what the Bible says. But you can be soulish and natural, or you can enter into that place. Inside. The Bible says that his spirit dwells within us and that we are created. We have our life and have our being inside of him. It's weird, but the point is, is there's no time where God's not close to you. And when you have made your decision to say, all the things that kept me out of that holy place... My sin, all the things that would keep me, if I went in there, my sin would kill me. Jesus took that on the cross. He was the priest who went in and made the sacrifice for all of Israel. He's the picture of the lamb that was placed and, was, and died and eventually was burned. And the incense went up to heaven. And the Bible says it was a pleasing incense. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, signifying that God had accepted the sacrifice that Jesus had offered. Right? His blood was, was spread in the temple in heaven, which is the true temple. We just have pictures of it down here. Why is that so powerful? That God made a way where you could not only come through the gates or into the courts, but this, this massive curtain that kept us away from the holy of holies and the presence of God. The Bible says on the day that Jesus died, in the moment when the lamb was sacrificed, all the symbology of Israel for thousands of years being poured out as a picture for us all to see, the Bible said from the top of that curtain to the bottom, it, it was ripped. All of a sudden, the holy of holies was made open, not from the bottom up signifying there's anything that you and I can do, but from the top down saying, God, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, has now made a way where there was no way But you have to choose to not just come through the courts, not just come through the gates and into the courts, to be on the outside far away from God. I don't want to get too close to him because what if he sees what I'm really like? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Can we stop saying dumb, natural things like the woman at the well and say, God, thank you that even though you knew everything about me, you didn't reject me, you loved me, and you accept me, and you welcome me in, and now I can't help but honor and praise and worship you because the only way that was made possible is because you did it all. That acknowledgement, listen, in your head is not enough. The physical act of your body is not enough. The, the willful decision-making in your soul is not enough. You have to come to that place where Karen said it tonight. You swing wide the gates of this heavenly place. It's a psalm talking about Jerusalem. Swing wide the gates. Why? So the king of glory can come in. You're coming into the holy place, but you know what's really happening? You are letting God into the secret places of your heart. 
And he will take away all your shame. He will take away all your guilt. He will make you brand new. And you can walk with him in the cool of the day, which is how he meant for us to be without sin in the first place. But if you don't move past the natural into the spiritual and get a hold of what God has done, you will never experience everything that God intended for you. You will never know real peace. You will never know real truth. You will never know real rest. You will never sit in absolute surrender knowing that God has it all and you don't have to worry about anything. You'll never do that. You'll never co-labor with him because you don't believe he's, co- he's actually laboring with you. We co-labor. He labors. We join what he's doing. We don't ask him to join what we're doing. At the end of the day, worship is about making someone bigger than you. Are you actually doing it or are you just going through the motions? Would you stand with me? The beautiful thing is, even in this moment, if you, see, you say, you know what, I don't, I don't think I've been doing this right. <laughs> I think I might have been a little bit of a woman at the well kind of mentality with this natural thing. But there's a place for you. God says, if you will let me, he's knocking on the door, picture in Revelation. He wants to come in and sup with it. We've always made that about salvation, and to some degree it is. But listen to what he did. He's knocking on the door of your house. He's saying, can I come in to the place that's secret, that belongs only to you? And if you're not careful, you'll run around and try to make everything look nice before you let him in. But Jesus is saying, if you let me in, I'll make everything look nice. And the Bible says that he wants to come and sup with you. That means he wants to sit at the table with you, and he wants to have conversation with you. He wants to be intimate with you. But it's a choice that you have to make. You have to let down your guard. You have to physically bring everything low so that you can release him to be everything that he is. Amen? So let me pray for us. So Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Lord, thank you that you made a way where there wasn't a way. And Lord, that, that in this world, Lord, so often we get distracted and caught up with all the natural things, Lord. And they're, and they're there and we understand that we thirst and we hunger, we, Lord, and we have to drink water and we have to eat food to satisfy that. But, Lord, all that has ever been is a picture of something so much bigger. Lord, you said, if, if I drink this living water, I would never thirst again. I would never go looking in, for in a man or a woman or a spouse or, or anybody else a friend. I'll never go looking for in that relationship something that I can only get from you. So, Jesus, I humble myself. I bow myself down low. I lay down all of of the the gates and the guards. Lord, I take them all down. Lord, I I personally remove everything that's in the way of you coming and wanting to sup with me. Lord, and I know you may challenge me about my hurt and my pain and my brokenness and maybe some unforgiveness and some guilt and shame. Lord, you're going to challenge me in that, not because you want to make me feel small, but Lord, because you want to lift me up. So Lord, I say yes. Lord, in that secret place, I want to make time for you to come and, Lord, just sup with me and be intimate with me and love me to the deepest part of who I am. Lord, release me to be fully free in you, I pray. In your name, amen. If you need prayer this morning, we would love to lay hands on you and minister to you and speak encouragement and love to you. We have our team up here. We'll do that. Otherwise, have a wonderful week, and we will see you next Sunday. Thanks, guys.